Hey guys, welcome to The Gilda Show. I have a very special guest for you guys today. Her name is Heather Preet and she is amazing. She's a mindfulness coach at the Den Meditation Center and she has her own clients. She works with people with from all ranges with anxiety and depression to serious trauma patients and cancer patients and she helps people with healing past traumas and being able to live happier lives today. And one of the ways she does that is by using self-compassion. And the reason I chose to interview her is because just after a few sessions of going to her classes, it really impacted my life significantly. I've done so much work on myself the last 10, 15 years, and I'd actually never even heard of self-compassion. And it's really the practice of having compassion for ourselves and our inner child. And she's wonderful at this. And she's been trained uh, professionally for more than 20 years in the Tibetan practices. And also she's certified by UCLA. And she's here today answering questions that I have from my past traumas, like my high school crush, not asking me to prom and instead taking my best friend. And, you know, I, I hope that what we talked about is relatable to you. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that you gain something from it. And I'm going to put her information on the link uh, below. It's heatherpreetmindfulness.com. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks. So, um, do you do, you teach meditation full time? Mm-hmm. That's yep. what you do for a living. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it, yes, it is amazing and it's super unusual, uh, and I'm and rare and I feel very, very blessed, um, about that by, I, I can't even tell you. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting because in order, there's a workshop here at the den tonight. That's like, quit your day job and do what you love at 7 PM. It's like $35. And I was like, Oh, it's like these two people like quit their lives and they went to Bali and they're going to teach us how to do the same. And like most people don't quit their day jobs to do their, what they think is their life's calling. And you were an actress, you said, yeah, right? Maybe yeah. are you still an actress? No, no, I actually let go. I mean, I I had been a professional actor um, my whole life. Uh, I was a stage actor, so I I'm originally from Chicago, and Chicago has a very intense theater community, and so I was a part of that. And uh, I also made my living from acting, which is I feel like I've gotten very blessed twice, because many people don't get to do that. When I moved here, though everything changed right so it was like the acting was much less my my agents who had been open for like I think that they had had the agency for 50 years finally retired um it was just like things were melting in that area as uh I started finding out about the secular mindfulness and UCLA and the courses through UCLA and how there's there was a new movement basically in my spiritual practice. So when I was teaching, when I would do occasional drop-in courses in Buddhism, you know, we didn't get paid for one, you know, you don't get paid for that. Uh, It's a donation. And um, they were, you know, maybe once a week. So now that it's become secularized, now that we have the evidence and we can see what happens to people's brains, we can bring this everywhere. So the den is really my home, but I don't, I actually only teach three courses a week at the den. So I only teach three 45 minute courses here. And then the rest is my private practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And I use the den as my office too, to see people. Uh, And I'm also very lucky since I've been doing it for 20 years and studying Buddhist psychology that I'm able to do basically, I do counseling basically Mm -hmm. um, with clients that I see regularly. And I've been able to take all of this that, that, that really was of interest to me and made sense to me and pass it on and help people. And to me, that's a huge gift. I mean, it's a huge gift to, I mean, it's so wonderful. I think to, I think that our purpose is to help one another, right? To help. That's all like help people. Yeah. And you are in, you are using your specific skills to help people in their paths. And I think that is the ultimate alignment. Yeah. I, I mean, I fully agree with you. I think that 
most human beings would agree with you if they could clear out like the obscurations to uh, their wisdom. And so we get a lot of obscurations in our culture. And I, you know, it's so funny that you're saying this, this class about going to Bali and quit your day job and such and such and such. You know, what's the first thing that arises when someone says quit your day job? Fear. There you go. <laughs> no. Where will I get money? What will I do? That's right. How will I pay the bills? That's right. Um, I have a family. That's right. And so I can't, I can't, I can't. And now I'm not saying quit your day job. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a pretty practical person. But what we want to work with is in mindfulness and self-compassion, which I know that's something you want to bring up, is that we want to work with the fear that keeps us from touching into what our, our life's purpose is. Now, listen, you might transform the fear through self-compassion and your wisdom might say, I don't want to quit my day job. That's silly. You know, I want to maybe go and do art on the weekends. We can't hear that voice, you know, until we ask the question, work with what arises around that question. I mean, we're, we're in fear then and nobody wants to feel like they're making choices in their life out of fear. When we come to the end of our lives and we say, did I live my life the way that I wanted to live my life? Uh, can I look back with a feeling of contentment and well-being? Can I let go easily right now? If we lived out of fear, I, I, I suggest the answer might be, no, I don't feel like I lived my life fully, right? So we want to work with things that say, I can't. It doesn't mean you will quit your day job. That's not the point. The point is, where are we making our choices from? Who is making our choices for you, you know, or for us? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You guys, I can't explain the feeling. Like, I hope this comes across in the video, but being in your presence, I just, I got so emotional as you were saying that mm -hmm. because I feel that you're, I feel that you're a channel. Mm -hmm. I feel that you're like in your purest state and these are like messages coming through you and it's like, it al it's almost like your whole demeanor changes mm -hmm. and you, mm -hmm. I don't know, mm -hmm. I, I have had moments like that where I've tapped into that mm -hmm. for other people and then when I'm witnessing it and the way it, it goes so deep into my soul. And so that will bring me to the self-compassion stuff. Yeah, yeah. Is that like... We, I had come to your class last week and you asked the class, she asked like, well, does anyone have something they want to talk about or work on? And I said, perfectionism, because yeah. I don't want to start something if I don't think it's going to be perfect. And this is that, Yeah. this was my dream. This is all I want to do. This is my dream. This is my actual dream. <laughs> this is all I want to do. It's like I did. I can't, and then I kept thinking, no, and I bought this equipment. I've had mm. this for like a year now. I've never used it. You're my first person. Mm. I'm actually interviewing real time with microphones, with an appointment. Like this is nuts. And I I said perfectionism, and you said you taught us the class and me about self compassion, which I've read a million self help books. I know Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay and self love and tell yourself you're beautiful and you love yourself and you can do it and all this stuff. But the idea of self compassion. Had n I'd never learned that in yeah. all my years. And then you said, go listen to this TED Talk with Kristen Neff and go um, listen to, and I looked up like, um, there's a very famous woman you told me has a meditation. Tara Brock? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I listened to that. Like I slept to that all mm. weekend. I mean, I've mm. been like doing, I f feel so much better. Yeah. And as I was like, well, tell us a little bit, like I was using those, it's like having compassion for yourself. And I was using those skills just as I was getting, like, I didn't want to go to the beach on 4th of July. I didn't want to wear a swimsuit. Cause mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, I've gained five pounds. I'm not even going to mm -hmm. wear a swimsuit. Yeah. And I was like, no, you can do it. It's okay. If you want to wear a, like, if you're going to lose five pounds, it's only going to take a month to burn off. Like, don't worry yeah. about it. Just put on the swimsuit. There's plenty of people at the beach. Like, it's okay. Like, I love you and just I was just like coaching myself mm. through like all of these and really difficult things happened this weekend and I was just saying to like the little Gilda like I love you and it's okay yeah. and you can do this and that's what brought me here today to do this in this imperfect form yeah, yeah. 
And so tell us what self-compassion is and how we can use it. Yeah, thank you. So this is really beautiful. Um, You hit on a couple things. So when you were referring to the inner critic, which says you gain five pounds, and, and if we can logically for a moment break things down and then realize that logic isn't enough to change our wiring, but let's logically break things down, right? Let's say we have five pounds uh, as, as a concept in our mind. First of all, who knows what five pounds even looks like? Okay, that's... What do you mean? <laughs> five, five pounds looks like a um, little really? muffin top. Does it? A little muffin top, Does a little it? pooch. To you. I see it yeah. in the photos. Yeah, you see it in the pictures. Okay. A year ago, I didn't have this pooch. <laughs> okay, okay. So five pounds look like, looks like looks a little like pooch. Looks like a pooch? Okay. All right, fair enough. So then let's... <laughs> so it's no longer five pounds. It's the pooch that we're criticizing. Yes. Okay. Pooch. Now we're breaking this down a little bit, right? Cellulite on the thighs. Yeah. So, so listen... I'm going to tell you guys how I, how I manage to love my pooch, okay? And I've recently lost weight because I, uh, I have a, I have a chron- you know, I have a chronic condition. Um, I have a chronic pain condition, and one of my medications I don't think I, makes I food unappealing. Oh, so we can that sounds awesome. Make, <laughs> Sorry. My point being, my weight has fluctuated much throughout my life, right? So. Um, how do we end up being feeling okay when we have a pooch? So first, the first thing we need to really contemplate, okay, is is how sad it is that we can't be in public and enjoy nature and enjoy our friends because we're concerned that there's a small shape on part of our body that actually is a sign of health, first of all. It's good for women to have that. So we're starting to see the prison that the inner critic puts us in. It's because I feel like if I run like two miles a day, it's true because I did used to do this. If I run two miles a day and don't eat carbs, I won't have the pooch. Yeah. So every time I see the pooch, it's like, oh, I'm not running I'm not. There you go. That's your inner critic. Doing the diet. That's I'm right. eating carbs. So now have, we're starting is, to see. This is like, this is a representation of all of the stuff. I'm not doing good go. enough. There you go. So neurons that fire together wire together. <laughs> I mean, this is how we all think. It's not unusual to you. That's why we're laughing because this is like what our brain does. That's why it's funny. It's like, what is going on? Human beings are. We're all. It's a little nutty, but we luckily we have this ability to care for our systems as well, right? So the first thing we want to do is acknowledge that neurons that wire together, I'm sorry, fire together, wire together. And we're acknowledging now a softness and a roundness in the belly is now wired with a barrage, a waterfall effect, we call it, of thoughts that are created to make us feel bad about ourselves. And then those thoughts that make us feel bad about ourselves send a signal that we should withdraw from the clan. There's something inherently wrong with us, and God forbid anybody see it or know about it. This isn't an ancient part of the brain. This is a reptilian part of the brain. And so much of this is about survival. Now, we also have this beautiful thing called the compassion mind and mindfulness. Now, look, you can't see it, but we can see the effects it's having on the brain. So we can all just get on board to say that this is actually a part of who we are. We can see the differences of people who actually access these aspects in their brain chem- in their brain wiring and in the different areas of the brain that are activated at different times. And when we put non-meditators and meditators in MRIs, we see differences. So let's just get on board that mindfulness is a thing, right? We can do that. Now, what we want to start doing is say, all right, every time I look at this, I'm being verbally abused. Now, if you, if, you, if you saw a little girl, let's say, and an adult was saying these horrible things to her because she had a, a little pooch, okay? How would you feel seeing that? Well, how would you feel seeing that? Sad. You would upset. Yeah. You would see that as abuse, I'm sure. If someone spoke to it's a little so kid harsh. the way you talk to yourself in your mind. But little kids can't like they're innocent and they can't like control anything 
I can control these things. Oh, now we're in a whole nother realm, sweetheart. So that's why (laughs) (laughs) that's why that little girl has to learn about shame from her body. She's going to learn from someone telling her to have shame and have control. Because it is shameful. So yeah, so it's talent, the thinking mind is telling you to feel shame, and you feel shame, and that's what we mean by it is shameful. It means that we're actually feeling it. Now what do we do about the shame? So that's where the practice comes in. Okay, sweetheart, so I saw a pooch. I had a waterfall effect of thoughts. They were critical thoughts. Now I feel shame because the thinking mind is connected to our amygdala, the little almond-shaped brain. Uh, I'm sorry, almond-shaped aspect of the brain that's at the top of the spinal cord and is activated. Shame is starting to arise. Anxiety, shame. Now what do we do with ourselves? The shame is something we want to run from usually. And so we starve ourselves or we work out or we don't go to the beach and we hide. But Actually, we have to heal the aspect of the self that has been beat up by buying into the inner critic. See, we're not one solid thing, and that's, the, that's really the deepest part of the teachings. We're our thinking mind. We're our emotions. We're sensations, the physical body, perceptions. All of these different aspects work together. There's this beautiful system, you know, but you have to know how they work. Because the mother and the caretaker is the compassion mind. So we have all these aspects that are just running wild. And it's time for us to come in now and start to heal those things. And the compassion mind is also a fierce protector of of the self. So when we have critical thinkings, we go, ah, ah, critical thought. We unhook and we come back. You know, I care about you. You're safe. Whatever it is. Let's just talk a little bit about how you bring compassion to the shame. Yeah, so you feel please. the shame rising? Do you feel that shame mm-hmm. rising even thinking about it? Yeah. So let's all just sense what does it feel like in the body. So what is shame? The first thing we want to do is we want to meet this energy of shame. Okay, so shame is like a, it's just this aspect of the self that we want to care for. So how do you know you feel shame? I feel nauseous. So there's a feeling of nausea in the body. So what is nausea to you? Is it like flipping, movement, churning? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's some movement. It's like a churning sensation. Okay. What's up here? Uh, it feels like uh, like the gag reflex. Okay. Like so it feels like, um, yeah, like if I, I want to like yeah. throw up. Yeah. Like it's hard to swallow. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then what are the thoughts connected with shame? Um, I'm worthless. I don't deserve, like, yeah, I don't deserve wearing a bikini and going to the beach because I haven't been doing the things I should have been doing. Or that's the one example. Or I don't deserve to do this podcast. I don't know, because I haven't been doing it for the last 10 years. Or Yeah, yeah. so you see how that there's so your flavor... Of, of sort of the inner critic's flavor is, is saying you don't deserve, right? And, or shame, and, and you didn't do enough to have happiness and well-being and do a podcast and go to the beach and enjoy yourself. So if we were working together over a long period of time, I would start uh, us touching into that story. Mm-hmm. But for today, let's just go through the gentle practice so we notice, first of all, how do we know we feel shame? So an emotion is a, is a connection between thoughts and sensation in the body. So she's having the flipping of the stomach and the tightness in the throat connected with some thoughts that say you don't deserve, okay? So now we are going to label that shame so shame has arisen. We don't say I feel shame or I am shameful or I am shame. Here's shame because what we're starting to do is develop a different kind of relationship where we're not enmeshed in the feeling. We're starting to be able to be this loving observer who cares, okay? Just like a loving parent. So the first thing we say is, is, hello, shame, I know you're here. Can you even say that? Say it to the shame. Okay. Hello, shame. I see that you're here. Yeah. How are you feeling just knowing that it's here? I guess it makes it less um, serious or less bad less threatening yeah 
We're taking some it's power like, back. Yeah, we're taking our seat, right? So we're taking our seat in mindfulness. As soon as you can observe shame and you can talk to shame in that way, you're starting to tap into mindfulness, which is this, this kind, non-judgmental awareness that sees all these things. That's why you're not your shame. You can actually observe it. So all of a sudden we're stepping back, we're saying, hello, my dear, I see you there. And you guys don't have to say dear yet because it takes a while before you develop a loving relationship with things, but you know that I had chronic anxiety. You know, I was hospitalized for anxiety for a week in high school because I just started disassociating. And they just said, oh, she's just in a lot of pain, which I was. I was in emotional pain. Um, and, And I was untreated for 20 years, you know. So with this practice i learned to care enough about my anxiety through self-compassion to love that energy enough that it broke past the fear and then neurons that fire together wire together so compassion and anxiety wired together to the point whenever i would feel a little energy of anxiety come up a voice would come without me trying that just says hello my darling i see you there because i spent time wiring those things when we do that oxytocin releases into our system and those difficult emotions start to calm, our amygdala starts to calm, that's where the healing comes in. I mean, I had had your class and I had done, I had been aware of the self-compassion and I had sort of used it to sort of get, I get a lot of anxiety just leaving the house, mm-hmm. just like, oh, do I have everything? And then like I'm late to everywhere and I just, I'll get stupid anxiety, but I do and I don't. I want to go talk to people and do interviews on the street, but just getting out of the house can be so hard. And I was doing that like, it's okay. And you're just going to go out for an hour and you can come back and you're not that far. And I was using that. And then, and I, and you said a couple of things that I want to touch on. So one is when we start to develop that compassion voice. So, you know, she was saying, she was having that voice was saying, it's okay. You can come in. We want to be really aware that we're not using the thinking mind. We're not trying to fix something with what created the problem. Instead, it's more of the energy of care, right? So we do use phrases, and those phrases are meant to tap into the energy of compassion. So if you use a phrase over and over again in your meditation, so first you would say, I see you there, and then you say, I know that you suffer and that's why I'm here for you. So in the next aspect of compassion is acknowledging this is a moment of suffering, which we don't do for ourselves enough. It is suffering when we beat ourselves up over our bodies. It's suffering when we say we can't. We, we pass that up. And the first thing we need to do is start to acknowledge that with love. So I know you suffer and that is why I'm here for you, to the, to the feeling of shame, okay? And then we can start adding phrases that are infused with the heart. So just as you would talk to a small animal who was hurt or a child, you can start sending compassion phrases with a kind, gentle voice in a soothing tone, such as, you're safe, I'm here for you, or I love you just as you are, or this is your birthright to have your joy. There's nothing you can do that makes you undeserving of your joy. You understand what I'm saying to you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So this is the aspect of the voice and we have to find it. It takes some time. Okay. And then that's the part that's gonna care for you so that we're not pushed around by the inner critic, which is trying to protect us, but it does it as an abusive partner. You know, so you, your more true aspect is your compassion mind. Mm. We're coming home. And we need to do this consistently, right? Every day around a single energy. Mm. So even when things aren't That's stressing right. us out, you have to, bring you have to have energy. those conversations with your, yeah. and your, are you, vi- am I visualizing? Are we visualizing the like inner child version of me and talking to it okay so i'm going to just say for people who are listening it's it's really uh, up to you how you're going to do this because the the purpose of all our visualizations and the purpose of these phrases is to tap into a sense of caring and compassion that you have for yourself 
okay? And it's the same sense that you would have for anyone else. So it's within you. It's just that you're turning it towards the self, all right? So in order to, to transform an energy, like I transform my anxiety, you want to meet it every day. So what I would do is I would sit and then I would recall something that waters the seed of anxiety in me, but not too big. Like the pooch. Yeah. So and think then, about the pooch. Think about, yep. And then say, I see you, shame. When the shame arises. You know, I did this for my pooch. <laughs> this is funny so I did this and now I love my pooch because wow. those neurons that fire together wire together I used to be the kind of person where if like you're with your boyfriend or something and they touch your stomach I'd be like they think I was crazy I'd be like don't touch my stomach because yeah. right? I had so much body shame and now because of all this wiring I'm just like hi little friend you know I mean I know it sounds hokey, but it's it's it, look past the surface of that and really think about how profound that is from going from hate to love. How do we know how how can we convince ourselves that it's okay to love ourselves even if we don't think it's we were enough? We have to just do it. So we do it, it's gonna feel uncomfortable. We do it, it feels awkward, we do it, it feels dry. And you do that for like maybe for a whole month. It feels like you're not doing anything. That's okay. You're watering the seeds. It takes time to rewire. So when we feel like I don't deserve it, how about this? I don't deserve it and I'm going to give it a try. Over time with enough compassion, you start to realize that you deserve happiness. And then you go beyond that even, and you start to realize that the word deserve doesn't even make sense anymore because happiness is just here. Well, so I grew up with kids at school not being accepting of me, mm -hmm. and I was best friends with this girl, and uh, she was beautiful, and she had blue eyes, and she was perfect, and I was friends with this guy who was new to our school, but he and I were friends, Justin Miller. And now he's like a fly fisherman. It's so funny. And, um, you know, I used to like really have a crush on Justin and I would tell this friend of mine about the crush and she knew all about it. And then they became friends because of me. And then of course, Justin took her to the prom and they started dating and I was devastated. Yeah, and so painful. then I saw, and I was just like, Oh my God. So I stopped being friends with her and I obviously stopped being friends with him and, that pattern has like repeated itself throughout my life of like not being accepted and not being That's included. Right. And so when I enter groups of friends or friendships, I'm always kind of feeling already like, why would they even want to be friends with me? Or, oh, I'm talking too much. Or, oh, I'm annoying. Or they don't want me here really. Or should I go? Or whatever, like those things are going on. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for me. It's either like I'm fine alone and I'm confident when I'm alone because I've always been independent. But when I get into that group environment, all these things get really triggered. Sure. So that's right. Exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly what it's like. It's exactly like, listen, that's exactly what it is. So when we have seeds, we have something we call in the psychology, we call the subconscious, the store consciousness. And within that store consciousness is every seed that human beings can possibly uh, experience and the seeds that get watered more become stronger those seeds are more easily watered in the future and every time they're watered they become stronger and stronger meaning that wiring in our brain is strengthened so that we can recall it easily in the future when a similar threat arises so this is the brain's trying to keep us safe right it's saying hey this looks like prompt <laughs> and remember how horrible we felt because it wasn't safe, right? Being friends with people wasn't safe because then you're going to get hurt. Mm. And the old stories play because within that seed are a myriad of things from a sensation of emotion to thoughts to memories, okay? So what we're starting to realize is that what's arising right now is dependent on what seeds are strong in us. It's not about what the reality is. It doesn't mean that people are thinking, I don't want you there. 
But that's what the seed remembers. That's what, what that's the story that we've actually constructed so that when something similar arises, we go into that construction and we withdraw. That is a way that we feel, quote unquote, safe according to the thinking mind. Now, if we go into our true self, we go into our, to our, our, the base of our reality, we can see that actually it's not the situation that's causing the issues. It's what seed's been watered. Okay. So how do we, how do we, um, how do we uh, uh, make those seeds weaker? those seeds of difficulty. The way we make them weaker is by noticing them and adding compassion. When we start to do that, we weaken the seeds. One energy cares for the other. Just like when a child scrapes its knee, if the mother rocks the child, the child stops crying even though the knee is scraped. It wasn't the scraped knee that was the difficulty, it was the fear. Okay, so when wow. we can calm that child down, there's a soothing that happens. Oxytocin is released into their system, this beautiful chemical cascade that allows the amygdala, the fight, flight, or freeze. It does other things too, yes, but the fight, flight, or freeze is softened. Okay, we start to feel safe. We're going to marry that feeling of safety with these sensations, these stories, these energies that are within us. When we do that, that seed starts to weaken over time, and it takes time. This is not something that's instant. We don't sit once and expect our, our brain to change. <laughs> it's just not the way it is. It's like you can't go to the gym and work out once and expect that you can become a weightlifter or a marathon runner. That's not how it works. It takes time okay, to strengthen that muscle. Now, just starting to approach it that way is you already creating self-compassion. Mm. So even if we don't feel the transformation, we can know I'm already practicing compassion simply by being here, by not going into reactivity of running from my fears, mm. okay? This is how we begin. Now, one thing you talked about was distraction. We were on a break, and she talked about distraction because I was doing my, a little bit of distraction for myself. I have... Um, a, a chronic pain and uh, energy disorder. So uh, I have uh, a, const a constant sort of neurological thing happening in my body. So I work all day and I take breaks every once in a while and maybe I'll do something that distracts me. So let's, we were talking about Diet Coke, right? Yeah, I'm like I, upset. I it was love her thing. It's her thing of Diet Coke. And we were talking about the really wise spiritual um, and, by the way, uh, something that's very much supported by neuroscience. The spiritual um, knowledge that it's not the Coca-Cola that we need to worry about so much. It's our relationship to it. Why? Because she said, you said, do you mind if I just share this? That you said when you drink Coca-Cola, then sometimes oh, you yeah, beat yeah. yourself up about the Coca-Cola, yeah, right? About. Yeah, I drink the Coke and then I'm like, ugh. I know I shouldn't be doing this. It's bad for me. It's killing me. It's bad for my teeth. That's and what we call suffering. Right, because it's. I know it's bad. Because I know it's what we call wrong. suffering <laughs> is all of those mean things. Or that eating you're carbs, <sighs> or sweets. We can talk about that another time because it's, it's the same thing. It's a whole. Yeah, thing. it is. It is. It is. It's how are we relating to this substance, right? So mm. the pain, the suffering comes from the beating ourselves up while we drink the coke. Mm. Thich Nhat Hanh says. If you're eating and you're thinking about your plans, you're eating your worry. And what he means is that's actually how that action's affecting our system. Mm. Okay? If we're drinking a Coca-Cola and we're in fear, we're feeding our fear. Those are the things that cause the suffering that we have as human beings. So now how can we work with this with a mindful distraction? Let's say you're just overwhelmed and you're like, I just need a Coca-Cola. You're a human being. This happens. This is how life is. We want a middle way. In Buddhism, we call it the middle way. We're neither contracting around things that are difficult, nor are we clinging to things that are positive. So when we think, oh, well, I went a whole week without drinking Coca-Cola, I'm a good person. We're actually mm. creating suffering there because we're wow. starting to identify ourselves as being good by an action. So what's going to happen? Eventually, you're going to drink the Coca-Cola. It's just what the way it is, and that's okay. When we drink it, can we enjoy it? 
First thing we want to do is we want to say, okay, I'm not strong enough right now to deal with, let's take me as an example, the pain that's arising. Right now I do need a little distraction. I will meditate on it, okay? So when we drink that, can we just know this is temporary? This is a moment in which I'm taking some ease and can we enjoy it? Sense the ease it creates. Then afterwards, if you say that's not the best thing for my body, then we add a little care to help the body support itself. So we can say, ah, okay, but I'm also going to drink a green drink today. And I'm going to give myself compassion for the fact that I was suffering enough that I did something that maybe is not best for my body right now. Mm. We know that many diseases are caused from stress and difficult thinking. That's just a fact. Yeah. Okay, that's just a fact. And so we want Mm -hmm. to care for ourselves enough so that these small things that happen in life, listen, our air isn't always as pure as we would like it to be either. And our food is grown in soil that doesn't have all the nutrients that it really needs right now, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's not that things have to be perfect. We don't need perfection to give ourselves care. And I will wait. Say that again. We don't need perfection to give ourselves care. We are not giving ourselves compassion despite being human. We're giving ourselves compassion because we are human. Wow. Are you sure we don't have to be perfect? Yeah, because I'm going to tell you another secret. (laughs) That perfection, that idea, it's a concept made by the thinking mind. A prison and Iranian parents and Iranian <laughs> and our society be doctors and our and culture lawyers to be in order to because mm-hmm. how do you change? I know you said it takes time, but it's like I spent my whole life being told like you have to be a doctor, and then when you're a doctor, and then it was like I reached those things. I didn't become a doctor. I'm a I'm a lawyer, and it's so funny because when I my mom wanted me to be a doctor and I was like, I can't, what? That doesn't make, okay. I became a lawyer. And then when I graduated and became a lawyer, I passed the bar. She started calling me doctor to her friends. She would introduce me as like Dr. Gelda Gazor. And I was like, wow, mom, like you really like don't get this idea that I'm not a doctor. Like that sucks. Like I've been a lawyer. It's pretty good. And then I went to Iran and I studied law there and I saw that there it's a doctorate of law. And so they do call lawyers doctors. So you actually. It was me that was thinking I still wasn't good enough. And then now I say to my mom, I do this to make you proud. And she says, oh, I was proud of you the day that you were born. I'm like, what? Mm. No, you weren't. You told me I had to be a doctor. What did your thinking mind tell you? Now? What did it say as far as I have to be a doctor because? then my parents will love me. There you go, dear. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's like normal, right? Like, it's totally normal. Listen, it's, it's <laughs> everything that we're talking about is normal, first of all, first of all. Second of all, yes, it's normal, and we need some mindfulness here, okay? Because what we just said is my parents don't love me. Well, it sure felt like I had to do a lot of things in order to meet those that criteria. Yeah, that's right. And it did feel like that. And so compassion for those feelings helps to transform them so we can get clarity. Mm. And the middle way is my parents love me now and they'd be thrilled if I was a doctor, Right. Now, when we work with those energies of feeling like we have to be something other than we are, it gives us the space to take in the love without feeling like we have to earn it. Mm. It doesn't mean you won't still become a doctor. But again, are we working from the fear? Mm. And part of that is turning towards what's good. So in our mind, when we practice, we would meditate on times in which we did receive love, just for being us. In Tibetan Buddhism, we do a lot of practice around thinking all living beings were once our mothers. And when we think about that, we think they carried us in their body, they gave us food, they protected us, right? These are all acts of love. 
Some parents can't say it verbally, some can. Okay? So mm. we have to seek it and savor it. This is so important because I have a lot of Iranian viewers and listeners, mm, okay. and I think that they have this thing with their parents and the like not feeling like they're ever good enough in those really high thresholds of success and feeling like they're not good enough. This is so important to hear that believing that the parents love them and that they're good enough as they are. I can't even think of a time that I was loved just for me. Yeah, so when your mom tucked you into bed after Mm. she gave you a bottle... Okay, you're saying like even the basic care. Not only not even the base the basic care is love. (laughs) Right. She used to scratch my back. There you go, sweetheart. So what we do is we sit and we recall those moments. When we start to feel the energy of feeling cared for, we drop the image of the back scratch or sensing how it felt. And we tap into the body, feeling that warmth of being cared for, breathing in, expanding it through the body, and breathing out, just absorbing that, letting that settle into the body. It'll fade, and then we recall the experience again until we can sense a little bit about what that little girl sensed. Let her sense that she's still in you. Mm. So we let that little girl come up and say, yes, I feel loved. And then we sense that, breathing in, expanding, breathing out, absorbing. It'll fade. Then we recall again. We need to do this why? Because we only can experience things that we place our awareness onto. When our awareness is all on the difficulties, that becomes a worldview or a perception. That's what we start to clock in our mind. Rick Hansen says positive experiences are like Teflon for the brain. And negative experiences are like Velcro. Mm. And this is an old survival instinct. We needed to worry in order to be safe as cave people. And, you know, when we were at the beginning of societies, our emotional brain has developed so much. And that thinking mind doesn't know the difference between an emotional and physical threat. So it'll replay the one time mom said, I'm not proud of you. Even though your whole lifetime she fed you. But it, it will forget mm. that and replay that, and it'll, that will become a worldview. And that's what we start to respond to. So all of our actions now are following that. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. If we say that enough, think about the amount of tension that's going to rise in the body. And then we start to act in ways to try to get away from the feeling of not being good enough. That feeling of not being good enough has been perpetuated by recalling one moment maybe even in our life, because children are very sensitive, one moment in our life in which we felt that. So now we have to intentionally, as Rick Hansen says, um, create a positive experience within ourselves by recalling, okay? And start to expand our awareness of the good. He says, taking in the good. Now, thinking is not the same thing as meditating. So if we think, oh, yeah, mom did that, that's not the same. It's not going to rewire. We need mindfulness to, for, to activate our neuroplasticity, meaning the ability to change the brain with our mindfulness. And trust me, that, that's a real thing. And we can look up articles and all that stuff. And you're welcome to do that. We can't go into all of that right <laughs> now. But we need that. We need to say, I'm stepping back. I see this. I see this is causing suffering. Suffering is the feeling of not being good enough. And it's controlling my life. Do I want to live my life again being controlled by my suffering? So we need to step back and find the other aspects of ourself that are solid and free, even when the thinking mind sends those messages. And then tap into the emotional state, the aspects of ourself that feel hurt and unloved and imperfect, uh, you know, and, and step into those and care for them. I want to say something about perfection. I really do. Perfection is a contract you made in your own mind, and you are allowed to break that contract. And only you can break that contract. What gives me the right to break it 
So, who created it? <laughs> <laughs> Me, these things I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, it comes back to kind of like the pooch and the Diet Coke, and mm-hmm. it's all kind of where it's, it seems like the same thing. It's like it is the same thing. Yeah. If I'm not doing it perfectly, then I shouldn't do it at all. Let me explain something and see if this resonates with you. And I'll just say from my perspective, in my observing and sort of studying the way perfectionism works in my own mind, um, I realize, and maybe you'll, you'll identify with this, that when you meet the goal, the thinking mind will move the goalpost. Yes. And that's because it never wants you to feel like safe. Why? Because it wants you to be in fight, flight, or freeze. Remember, Why? this is an old survival instinct. So if there was a lion behind the bush with the pink flowers, I use this example a lot, and you're a cave person, and you went to go gather uh, by yourself, and you almost got eaten by the lion, it's very important for you to go home and beat yourself up about going outside alone so you don't do it again, to ruminate on all of the difficulties that arose. You walked down that path. You went, you know, you saw a bush with pink flowers. And now we're starting to really get into that hippocampus, the idea that if we see a bush with pink flowers, go into fight, flight, or freeze, because the thinking mind does not want you to say, oh, are these flowers beautiful? Or maybe there's Mm -hmm. not a lion behind here. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now... Think about the amount of suffering that will create. That Say there's thousands of bushes with pink flowers. If you got flowers. hurt. Okay, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah, so Keep think going. of there's thousands of bushes with pink flowers. Do you want to live your life afraid that there's always a lion behind it? It's just like what I can't, sometimes I can't tell the difference between what's real and what's like my thoughts that have been developed from these past traumas like Mm -hmm. the prom Mm -hmm. so is my reaction to this event is that a real reaction that a rational person would have or is it because of my specific whatever like trauma Uh and either way how am I supposed to respond Uh if I was eaten by a lion or scratched by a lion at one pink bush why am I going to go out and explore other pink bushes Like, I learned my lesson. Like, that's how we can keep learning lessons. Right. That's right. So if it was really about exploring the pink bush, I'd be fine with it. Okay. It's kind of like if someone gets cheated on. Mm -hmm. I've never been cheated on. But if they do, I could see how they don't want to get into another relationship. That's right. That's right, Because they're like, no, love means pain. So why keep doing it? Why do you think? I don't know. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted from all this trial and error. Oh, I told you this last time too. I said, I feel like there's, oh, and then you told me that your tools evolve and that you get better. There you go, sweetie. And so the next time that it happens, you have better tools and you're not going to spiral the same way and you just get better and you get better. And I guess, I don't know if the toolkit I have is has the right like I feel like I've gotten to this wall and like all my tools are all like you know like broken and like you know like you need a full new kit and like you know and I don't have the tools for this next this stage Mm -hmm. of my life this adult this next phase Mm -hmm. you know I had a thought this is the phase of like the age where I experienced my mother like she was my age when I was young and and feeling a lot of pain in that house yeah and so I think I'm stepping into this age and beyond, which is how I know my mother. And I think she didn't, like when I watched that, I don't think that that was a great example. So I don't think I'm prepared. Like I'm like basically partially turning into her and her reactions and her whatever baggage. And I'm not even able to move on. Like at least when she was my age, she had like three kids and she was like managing a life and I'm not even doing any of that. And because I just feel like I don't want all that. Okay. So one thing I want to point out is that instead of saying we get better, let's say we get more compassionate. 
all of this and what is like the end goal? So the end goal. <laughs> that was a really deep bomb to drop on you, but that's where the end I'm wondering. So the end goal is to find a way to be resilient as a human being. Why? Why, why do we need to even be here? So you can experience the human experience and that, that one of the joys is love. So we want to start caring for our fears. We want to start having more resilience. We want to have more compassion for when love does hurt because love does hurt. You're right. It does hurt. It does. And why? Because when we're in relationships, that person is meant to touch all our seeds. Now listen to me, sweetheart. It's meant to touch the seeds so that we can grow. So love is the soil for our growth. If we abandon our seeds, we don't grow, and then it just becomes a toxic relationship. Two people become quite stagnant, right? Mm. They get caught in their own patterns. Now, what happens, uh, let me give my relationship as an example, is that, like, with my husband, right, he touches my seeds, of course, because uh, when we're in a loving relationship, it's, it's really the closest to being child-parent as far as intimacy is concerned and dependence, right? So That means child-parents to each other? Child, uh, yeah. So, so if we were, when we're children, right, we have that very intimate relationship, we're sharing a home, and there's a dependence on each other to make life work out the way it should, right? Mm-hmm. Or it can't. And so those seeds are going to be watered by our loved ones. That's just the way it is. Okay, it's the deepest love we can feel besides the, the love between ourselves and children and ourselves and a parent. So those seeds are going to be watered and they're meant to be. So instead of thinking something's wrong, when I get, let's say my big thing is if my husband is uncomfortable or, or, or he's upset about something, I get really uncomfortable and I want to go into fix, manage, and control because I'm terrified, <laughs> terrified of him getting dis- dysregulated in any way, even though he's not taking it out of me. In any way, he's quiet. I mean, that's how he is. And I just can see he's in pain. And I have such a fear reaction to that that I'll start to go into fix, manage, and control. So what did I have to do? I saw that that was suffering. And I said, oh, a seed's being watered. Mm. So instead, I said, this is what my practice has to be right now. So when he would get, like if he's unhappy in some way or let's say works hard, let's say he's tired. I mean, that's a big, I have a hard time seeing him tired. (laughs) It's just my thing. And um, so then I sit next to him on the couch, like while he's tired or whatever like this, and I feel all the discomfort come up. And I'm like, oh, so shit. hard. I'm like, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, I'm suffering. I'm so scared right now. Like, what does discomfort mean? Because in my childhood, if the parent was uncomfortable, yes. you know, that was very scary. Codependent. That's right. And we're, yeah. and it, we're very sensitive as children. And that's just the... And that, you had to make sure they were okay so you'd be okay. Yeah. So when they weren't okay, you were like... That's right. That's right. That's right. And so you sit there... I well, sit and there experience. and experience the pain, <laughs> but it's because I've practiced a lot with compassion. So I'm able to step back and see it as an energy. So I'm stepping back and I'm sensing it. Hello, my suffering. I see you there. You know, I name it. Naming is really important. It's called labeling. It activates our prefrontal cortex, which calms our amygdala. So I'm saying like, hello, anxiety. I see you there. Hello, fear. I see you there. Hello, tension. I see you there. Okay. Oh, I thought you meant like name it like Jack. Oh, you could do that too if you want. <laughs> if, it's, if it's a frequent visitor, you can definitely name it. And then, and then I start to notice the sensations and if I get overwhelmed and sucked into it, then I go to something neutral to pleasant, such as my breath or sound, until I calm down. And then I come back into it. And then I start giving it love. And it's not to change it. We're never going to smother it with love. It's to start changing the relationship so my wiring is different. Because if I wire compassion with that fear, when the fear arises, the compassion arises, and then it settles down. And then I have wisdom, and I can either know I can do something to help my husband, or I can't, and I have to let him go through what he's going through. Mm-hmm. And that's the freedom that we're talking about. Okay? So habit energy versus clear seeing and choice. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if we can do that, then over time we realize love is not 
about hurting us. Love is about watering the seeds so that we can grow and then be cleared of those seeds so we can fully experience love. Love will do nothing <laughs> if not show you the obstacles to receiving it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not, <laughs> you know, love wants to show you what is blocking you from feeling love. It sounds crazy. You know, because we have a chance to clear that. We have a chance to transform that. And then you can receive it fully without fear. It can, takes time. I'm not trying to say this is simple. Can we do, this is my biggest question and probably my last question because mm-hmm. I think we have to wrap up. But um, can we do all of this? I know there's different levels of like mental health. And so obviously we can't have like a general answer to this question. So I'm not going to, I'm going to sort of preface with that. But can, do we need to go to therapy? Because, you know, a lot of my friends are like, you need therapy. <laughs> and it's like, do I need therapy? Can I do this all with meditation? Like how much of it? Okay, yeah. Yeah. So you can do it all with the meditation, but you need a good teacher and a guide. It would. Mm. It, it takes someone sitting with you and, and finding the things that we want to work with and, and, and transform, right? You really need a teacher. It's important. It's also important because just as a therapist is holding space for you, a kind, loving space so you feel safe enough to explore certain energies, that's what a kind teacher can do for you too. So we aren't always able to be with certain energies without becoming dysregulated. Um, and it's very important to feel like we're held and safe so that we can go into those energies, all right? So that's, that's part of what a teacher does, and they also help point. So we would help point to areas in which we, we may start to investigate and then add some compassion. Now, that being said, therapy and meditation work perfectly together. And if you can find a therapist that incorporates mindfulness that's even better. That's what the mm. research shows, that we want both, okay? Mm. So if you have a kind therapist that's really pointing you in the right direction, that's beautiful. That's amazing. I'm also going to add, if we need medication, we take our medication. Mm. I'm all for meditation and medication, <laughs> okay? I went undiagnosed for my condition for a long time and didn't have medication, and now I do. And mm. I can what tell is the medication. So, well, I don't necessarily want to say oh, all the medication, but it's not narcotics. I'll put it that way. But the, I have like I have to take five different medications. You know. Wow. And you do meditation. I guess I thought that the point of doing meditation was to not do medication. Yeah. So I think that's. But then a I feel like I'm suffering and like. So that's a misnomer. So, so the thing is, they can go together, sweetheart. We don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is not some sort of moral code that we're trying to put on people. This is an aspect of the self that's your birthright that you have choice to utilize in whatever way you wish. This is about you owning your own life. And for some people, they have a chemical imbalance. Or for me, um, what happens is that the centers in my brain that process pain are overactive, and they actually create pain. Wow. And I went through a long time trying to meditate. I would go to retreats, and I'd be in so much pain, I'd just be sobbing, trying to sit up. Um, this is not beneficial. Sometimes we need, like, I, I one of the things that I did is I have arthritis in my neck. That's just one of the things. Oh. It's a different condition. So I was trying to sit, not knowing that these flare-ups with arthritis. Well, I'm sorry. Yes, I can handle pain with my meditation, but why wouldn't I take an arthritis medication? doesn't right. make any sense. Well, that makes sense. But then, you know, I was talking to this like homeless dude on the street that sells his art and mm-hmm. he shows up every day to Venice Beach and sells his drawings for right. like $2 a piece. Okay. And I was like, he lives in his van, doesn't have a house. And then he, I was like, do you ever get depressed? And he said, depressed? No, like I like live at the beach, live at the beach. I don't, he's like, do you own your house? And I said, no. He's like, how much do you pay rent? And I told him, and then he's like, how much is your car payment? I told him, and he's like, do you own any of that? No. And then he said like, he made a hundred thousand dollars selling drawings on Venice beach last year. See, And also he's, he's got an, and we, we yeah, we're done. Yeah. But so he like, also, why isn't that that guy's not depressed because he's just living in <laughs> yeah. the fully present yeah, and he's right. like I'm connected to the source I don't need validation 
I don't need all this stuff. And it's like, I spent all this time, like I got to get a law degree and then people. That's right. We are accumulating from the outside. Now I want to just tell you one thing that's part of the wisdom of these teachings. It's called the cow, it's the cow teaching. So one time Buddha was out with his monks and the farmer came, ran up to them, a herdsman came, ran up to them and said, I've lost my cows. Have you seen my cows? They said, no, we haven't seen your cows. And he was so distraught that he had lost his cows. And then when he left, the Buddha turned to the monks and he said, see, this is why you're happier than the herdsman because you have no cows. (laughs) So the more we accumulate, the more fear of loss that arises. The true happiness is about going in and creating a sense of resiliency, safety, and compassion within ourselves. Mm. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Where can we find you? Oh, yes. So my website is just my name. It's Heather Preet Mindfulness. And you can sign up and and give give me your email and we'll let you know about offerings. Um, I am doing my Greece retreat. I do a Greece retreat every year on the island of Ithaca at this beautiful place called Ithaca 108. We're the only ones that are there. And we have this beautiful outdoor space that's built into the side of a hill. Wow. It's it's really amazing with gorgeous rooms as well in the in the main house and yurts. And um, I'm doing the compassion certification here at the den. Uh, so you have lots private of healings yeah. and yeah. meditation classes and you're teaching at the den and I will yeah. put the link to your um, site below as well beautiful. thank you guys thank you so thank much this you. was amazing thank you for sharing your beautiful gift Aww. and thank you for creating the space for me to come share my gift I'm so glad that you did